0: There's always been a touch of the macabre to my marriage. On our first date, we went to see the horror movie Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Years later, I told this to the director of that film and he replied, And she still married you? Yes, she married me and one of our wedding gifts was a painting of the Seven Dwarfs by convicted murderer John Wayne Gacy. Mr. Gacy had been convicted of murdering 34 young men and was now sitting on death row painting his little heart out. He even inscribed the back of the painting. To Mike and Denise, love is enjoying the same things. That would be a lovely sentiment coming from just about anyone but him. Not long after his execution, we found out that many of the paintings attributed to Gacy were actually farmed out by him to other convicts. If you can't trust John Wayne Gacy, who can you trust? We went to Hawaii on our honeymoon and visited Pearl Harbor. This was a good symbol for how the whole honeymoon went. We were standing over the wreck of the Battleship Arizona, one of the most solemn spots in America, and I'm afraid I started laughing. Here's why. I looked over and saw a group of tourists from Tokyo smiling and chatting away in Japanese. And I imagine they were saying, Nice work, boys. Look at the hole in that boat. This is a day that will live in Femi. During the early years of our marriage, we lived in Los Angeles, home to the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. It was opened in 1899 as a pastoral memorial park, but like much of Southern California, the cemetery got ruined when all the showbiz people moved in. It's now the final resting place of Mickey Rooney, Judy Garland, two of the Ramones, and Mel Blanc under a gravestone reading. That's all, folks! By the 1990s, the place had become a theme park, like Disneyland but with hundreds of rotting corpses just under your feet. They have Halloween parties and show movies like Mean Girls and American Psycho and host concerts by bands named Cigarettes After Sex. And there's yoga. It's easy to forget the place is still a cemetery, One day I was sitting on what I thought was a bench when someone yelled, Get off my grandfather! I was sitting on Tyrone Power's grave. Hollywood doesn't always respect the past, but it does have a long tradition of rich dudes killing their wives and getting away with it. It goes back to 1903 with rich industrialist Griffith J. Griffith. The J is for Griffith. In 1903, Griffith shot his wife in a drunken rage. He did two years in San Quentin, but was released after donating 3,000 acres of land to the city. It's now called Griffith Park, and it's really just the side of a mountain surrounded by three freeways. It's a great place to get away and enjoy the sights and sounds of traffic. Also, like Mr. Griffith himself, the park kills people. In 1976, a couple was making love in the woods when a tree fell over and crushed them. LA is also home to O.J. Simpson, the beloved athlete, slash actor, slash slasher. In 1994, O.J. allegedly, and definitely, murdered his wife. A few years later, Robert Blake, the former little rascal and current big rascal, did the same thing. Both men were found not guilty by reason of celebrity. I had a writer friend who hated all of this. He'd built a career writing for wholesome entertainers like Carol Burnett and, uh, Bill Cosby. Fed up with Hollywood sleaze, he quit show business, moved back home to Indiana, and married the local beauty queen. After a few years living in small-town Indiana, he went nuts, murdered his wife, and stuffed her body in the attic. Because he didn't do it in Hollywood, He actually went to jail for his crime. All of this is very tawdry and completely true. I hate even talking about it because I am pretty much the only podcast that's not about murder. Except this week it is. This is a travel podcast and most every place I go has its murder stories and ghost tours. If you ever visit beautiful boulder colorado everyone will offer to show you the john benet ramsey murder house sometimes they'll show you the mork and mindy house but always the john benet home there is plenty of murder travel that is serious and important like the death camps of world war ii we made a special trip to the killing fields of cambodia It is a bleak and solemn place marked by a three-story pagoda filled with 8,000 human skulls. Unfortunately, some eager beaver decided to add a large sign and magic marker reading, Six Reasons the Killing Fields is Worse Than the Holocaust. Guys, it's not a competition. They're both pretty bad. Let's not do it again. More recently, we visited Salem, Massachusetts home of the famous witch trials. Three local museums recount these events. One has live reenactments of the trials, the second uses dioramas and audio narration, and the third is a walkthrough immersive experience. They're all worth visiting. However, some public booster has put up a sign explaining why America's witch trials were better than Europe's. They killed 12,000 people. We only killed 20. Yeah, but there were 20 innocent people. Well, 17. Three of them may actually have been witches. For the record, none of them were burned. 19 were hanged, and one poor guy was pressed under heavy stones. These three museums are all sobering and dignified. But once you leave them, Salem is just one big Disney's Haunted Mansion ride. There are costume shops and candy stores and a just great movie monster wax museum. There is a granite memorial to the victims of the witch trials, but it's a five-minute walk from a life-size sculpture of Samantha from Bewitched, riding side saddle on a broom. Why is this okay? Outside Arlington National Cemetery, why don't we put a statue of Colonel Clink from Hogan's Heroes, or better yet, Sergeant Schultz with a brass plaque reading, He Saw Nothing... He did nothing. It was a 90 minute drive from Salem to our next murder destination, Fall River Mass, home of Lizzie Borden. You know the rhyme. Lizzie Borden took an ax and gave her mother 40 whacks. And when she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. This, by the way, was not a schoolyard rhyme. This was in the local paper and she hadn't even gone on trial yet. It wasn't even accurate. She gave her stepmother 19 wax and her father only 11. Barely a crime. But this is what passed for journalism in the 1890s. What if you read this in today's New York Times? Vladdy Putin went insane when he sent troops to Ukraine. Lots of killing, lots of shooting. What a jerk, that Vladimir Putin. It seems a little familiar even to call Lizzie Borden Lizzie. She went by Elizabeth, but with mass murderers we're generally on a nickname basis. Ted Bundy, Ed Gein, Jack the Ripper, Charles Manson. We went to Fall River to visit the Lizzie Borden house where the murders took place. It's still standing and lovingly maintained as a bed and breakfast. I would have thought it was worth a quick tour, but my wife had booked us on an overnight stay. 24 hours with Lizzie Borden. By contrast, my sweet old mother is 90 years old and we spend 90 minutes a month with her. And I never once thought of taking an axe to her since high school. We'd gotten to the Lizzie Borden house too early for checking, so we walked around Fall River, a once prosperous mill town now down on its luck. New England is full of places like this, towns that made a killing by killing whales. Then, once all the whales were killed, it killed the town. Fall River wasn't fake spooky like Salem. It was genuinely friggin' creepy. We spent hours walking its charming streets and barely saw another soul. The few people I did run into may have been ghosts. They were dead-eyed and shapeless and white. All white. The final proof that they were ghosts is the fact that fall river is an entire town without one restaurant or grocery store there's a tattoo parlor every 50 feet but no food how did the residents survive answer they didn't they starved to death and became ghosts heavily tattooed ghosts coming up after the break the true story of lizzie borden Plus, the worst joke I've ever told on this podcast. Lizzie Borden hated the house where she lived, the house we were now paying to spend the night in. Even though her father was a wealthy mill owner, he refused to pay for the modern conveniences everybody else had, like electric lights and indoor toilets. This drove Lizzie to murder. As a tour guide described this, I could see my wife nodding. This was justifiable homicide. It made me think I should get Denise all those modern conveniences she's been asking for, like electric lights and indoor toilets. Our tour guide was a tough-talking Boston guy who single-handedly kept the town's tattoo parlors in business. He was covered with ink, running all the way up one arm, across his chest, and down the other. He was as scary as anything in the Lizzie Borden story, and even though there was a group of Catholic school kids on the tour, he pulled no punches. Here's an exact quote. A week after they buried Mr. Borden, they exhumed his rotten corpse to examine the contents of his anus. Then they sawed off his head and boiled it down to the skull. Lizzie Borden was the O.J. Simpson of the 1890s. Her case galvanized the nation and was the first trial in America to use crime scene photographs. Like O.J., Lizzie had a pretty good plan to kill one person, but then another one showed up. In her case, she had just whacked her hated stepmother when her father came home from work two hours early. So, she had to kill him too. Like O.J., she hired a dream team of lawyers, including a former governor of Massachusetts. The jury deliberated the case seriously and in depth for five minutes. Then they found her not guilty on the 19th century grounds that rich people don't commit crimes, Irish people do. With her father dead, Lizzie got even richer. She bought a beautiful home in the best part of town with electric lights and a toilet in every room. The house still stands, and it's actually up for sale in case you're thinking of murdering your wealthy parents. She also gave a huge bequest to the local animal shelter, which is still running 130 years after the murders. There's even a picture of Lizzie in the lobby with the unspoken motto, We Kill Parents, Not Puppies. After our house tour, we visited the Fall River Historical Society, whose unspoken motto should be, America's least boring historical society. It's housed in a gorgeously restored mansion and is well worth a visit. The docent was a model of Fall River Restraint in that she only had one arm covered in tattoos. She told us her version of the Lizzie Borden case which was basically Everything that other guy told you was wrong. She debunked the entire case against Lizzie Borden. I asked her if Lizzie didn't do it Who's the most likely suspect? She replied, There are no other suspects. We spent the night in the Lizzie Borden house, sleeping in the bedroom of her murdered parents. It's a unique bed and breakfast in that there's no one on duty. They lock you in the place at night and let you out in the morning. It freaked Denise out, and she lay awake all evening in our creaky four-poster bed. As for me, I slept like a baby and awoke refreshed and happy. I saw no ghosts, I had no nightmares, and didn't have the slightest urge to murder anyone. (laughs) Until I got the hotel bill. And that's the worst joke in the history of this podcast. Good night, everybody. What Am I Doing Here was written and performed by Mike Reese and produced by Josh Perillo, with additional voices by Trevor Morris, Mike's funny doorman. A week after they buried Mr. Borden, they exhumed his rotten corpse to examine the contents of his anus. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.